Episode number 38, subscribe, listen, and rate. It's just another episode, J-Ham, even though we haven't started yet, where if we're going to do it legitimately, we have to name it after another athlete that I don't like. And I find Ooh. myself doing this now. It seems like every other <laughs> one now, if Not we're good. Gonna, I have a choice. We either, we either do it fair and square mm-hmm. based on credentials, and we name it after somebody I don't like. Or we just ignore that because I don't like them, mm-hmm. and we do it like after Max Strong. I mean, we could always fall back on Max Strong. Max Strong's a solid individual. No, he, well, he's a solid individual, but he can't, I mean, he's not the greatest number 38 that, that in the history of sports. I didn't realize that we had to do the greatest. I thought we were just doing... Solid individuals? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Solid. Where have you been for 37 episodes? I don't. That's a really good question. Have I been... Since when are we doing I it for been? solid individuals? I chose several people for personal reasons that were outside of the greatest number. So I just figured if there was somebody that was the most heart-wrenching, the most personal, the most whatever, you yeah. pick you pick them. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's going to be Max Strong. Yeah. I'm just saying it doesn't need to exclude Max Strong just because he had four rushing yards in, <laughs> in seven years. No, okay. because Mike Holmgren gave it to him on second and ten yeah. every single time. Yeah. Well, I have a Max Strong story that I don't know that I'm allowed to tell. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell it, and then I'm going to go get permission at the end of the show after I finish recording. And if you now don't hear what the that is the Max Strong no this is a podcast dumbest caveat I've ever heard. Well, I have to get her permission because it involves her and Max Strong. Oh, it does. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to say that, but I don't want to go get her permission now in the middle of recording. Why not? Why not just yell right now? Say, hey. Okay. Come on in. Okay. No, just open the door. She won't come in, but, yeah. she, but we, we'll, I'll yell uh, okay, her. Just okay, open the door. Okay. Watch your heads, headsets, headsets, headsets. Be careful. Just open the door if she's still out there. Sharon, do I have your permission to very nicely tell on episode 38 the Max Strong story? <laughs> she said, oh. She said, what did she say? Oh, geez. I'll tell it very nicely. No one will think poorly of you. Okay. What did you, you come back and tell people what she said. You're on right now. We're recording. Okay. All right, so what, what's what's the you, you got to tell me what's the result okay, of that? Here's the re- the result is this is pretty funny actually. We've never done this before. No, we haven't. This the, is like groundbreaking. The result is is exactly what you said. It was I reserve the right to listen and veto if I don't like the way it was told or so that's fair. I don't that's think fair. it will cast my wife in a bad light. That's a, but she just said she said her okay. piece and so now but we haven't started the show yet. We so have should we wait till we start the show? Or should yeah. I tell it in the tease? What no, would you no, prefer? No, no, no. no. You Wait till tell, we, yeah. we tell it in yeah. the show. Can I, since we haven't started the show, yeah. can I ask you a question? I love that. I love that you're going to ask a question. Okay. Yes. The wristband that you're wearing looks like it's going to cut off the circulation <laughs> to your wrist. And I, and I need to I need to know whether or not, uh, like, literally, <laughs> literally, there's a tourniquet that you uh, needed and uh, you were bleeding and you, you just, yeah. that is the time. <laughs> 
the Titus oh, Row. What yes. is? Tell there, me about yes, that. Yes, yeah. yes. There's actually a story behind. Okay, there is. And my, there's a reason why my <laughs> hand is blue. Listen, <laughs> listen. I've been staring at your hand. You want to take a picture? I've been staring at your hand. You for, want to take a picture I will for Twitter? Take, I will take a picture okay. for Twitter. Uh, right. I've been staring at your hand <laughs> because we both have this habit of of grabbing the mic, and I've been staring at your hand as, yeah. as the blood circulation. <laughs> And I'm like, he has to feel that because his hand is completely oh, stark white at the top because I, there's no blood okay. flowing through there. All right. Um, I'll tell this one real quickly. This is really not a big story. Okay. The story is, is that uh, <laughs> my son is 13 yes. and we threw him a bar mitzvah. Yeah, I that. think that most people yeah. would know that yeah. it's a Jewish yeah. tradition. Yeah. And um, we gave out wristbands. Mm-hmm. To the adults and to the kids. Okay. And um, I happen to like the blue and black ones we gave the kids. Yeah, they're a little smaller, though. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm wearing it. Yeah. I went to Portland with my 13-year-old. Yeah. And I decided to wear it. I don't have a lot of feeling left in my Why right hand. Why in the world are you wearing that? I'm wearing the kids because it's, it's good luck. I thought it was good luck. It's for my son's bar mitzvah. Okay, I, I appreciate right? that. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. But literally, it's it's oh. absolutely... Oh, there's a mark. Okay, just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint a picture for the folks out there. You know when you go to the grocery store... You go to the grocery store, and for uh, anyone who's ever bought some asparagus, yeah, the band that ties the asparagus together, <laughs> that's basically what it looks like, except for it would pop the tops of the asparagus off because it's so tight. Uh, well, it is a little tight. It's snug. I thought it was good luck, so yeah. I, I, I wore it to Portland. You had no blood in your fingers. I was like, wow, that uh, looks... Yeah. 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 Any other questions before we start no, the I'm show? No, I'm good. Thanks. All right. I have a couple of things to say before we start the show. I've already said that you should subscribe, listen, and rate us. Yes. And after this past uh, <laughs> eight or ten minutes, I don't know that we're going to expect a very good rating. Uh, it's available on most podcast platforms. You listen on Apple Music. I uh, Sorry. Apple. No, it's called Apple Podcasts Podcast. Podcast, excuse me, yes. And I listen on, I think it's called uh, Podcast Addict, I think is what it's called. Anyway. Uh, uh, most platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, go ahead and subscribe, listen, and rate. Also, clicking is caring. I haven't done this one in a while, in a few episodes. I want to say it again. If you wouldn't mind, if you just laughed and giggled over whatever just happened, and you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes as as Jay Ham downs a beer, the last few times you've come over, I've offered you a beer, and you said, no, I'll fall asleep mm-hmm. if I give you a beer. Today, you're doing a beer. Um if you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes and clicking on all of the episodes you haven't heard. Now, there's been 38 of them. It doesn't take a lot of time to click play, 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 play. Clicking is caring. You'd be doing us a nice favor. You can either do it on your podcast app where you can see all of them listed right there. Or you can just simply go to MitchUnfiltered.com. Every show is listed. A simple click. You having trouble over there? A simple click of the button that says play. Mm-hmm. goes a long way. And it I does. wrote that to Ryan. Nice. I wrote that to Ryan. Did you? Yes, I did. Nice work. Guests on episode 38. Peter King, Football Morning in America, and all the post-draft and minicamp news. Seahawks, Ziggy. Dave Gettleman is just getting taken out by the woodshed in New York for his drafting of the quarterback and then lying that he knows two teams that would have taken the quarterback if he took the pass rusher and waited till the second first round pick. And everybody's going, you do not. You're making that up. There's no team. And like every team has said, we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have. We wouldn't have. And he's saying that there were two teams to try to save face. Tyreek Hill needs to save face. Cam Newton's health. Marshawn Lynch. His latest retirement. 
I haven't seen the picture of the the cleats hanging mm-hmm. from the uh, the telephone wire, yeah. but I asked Peter King, who's a big part of the process of of picking guys for the Hall of Fame, whether he thinks Marshawn Lynch is a Hall of Famer. Mm. And I am very, very. I want Marshawn Lynch to make the Hall of Fame. You do for for the Hall of Fame speech or why? Well, <laughs> you're right there. You're, okay. you're you're tracking with me. Okay, for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm a Seahawks fan, like the rest. Maybe not like the rest, but I liked Marshawn Lynch. Yep. The only media I think that he ever did was come on our show a couple times and call me son yeah. and call me daddy. He, he says, you call me daddy. He used to tell me yeah. to call him daddy. Came on our show a few times. Um, I like Marshawn Lynch. I loved what he, what he stood for, what he was here in Seattle. I think if there's ever a guy that won't show up after making the Hall of Fame that just literally <laughs> stiffs the place, yeah. I think if there's ever a guy that does it, is it Marshawn Lynch? For sure. I mean, imagine what he has to put himself through if he makes the Hall of Fame and he actually shows up. The whole establishment, the whole wearing the yellow jacket, going to the Hall of Fame game, doing all the interviews with the network, signing autographs, doing the speech. How He might spontane- spontaneously combust. How is he going to be able to ever do that weekend I don't think in Canton, happening. Ohio? I, I think that's almost like becoming an Augusta member. You, they're not gonna. They know there's some, there's some baggage with that. You becoming what's so bad? What's the baggage you coming becoming with an Augusta? An Augusta no, member? I'm saying, if you're being evaluated to become an Augusta member, yeah, everything in your life comes into play. Yes. Same with the Hall of Fame. While maybe maybe because his his on the field statistics are very marginal to become a Hall of Famer. His personality, which I love, so this is not an anti-Marshawn Lynch. We haven't started the show yet, but can oh continue. Oh my gosh, have we not started the we, show? No, we still All haven't right. started the show. His 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 persona, yeah, is not Hall of Fame ish, which I think will hurt his chances to get in. And I can make the argument that it makes his chances to get in greater, but I think it's going to hurt him more than it's going to help him. You think people will not vote for him because they're worried about the whole weekend, him him going no, there and, it, and I, behaving himself? No, I don't think it's about behaving himself. I'm just saying himself. I think I'm, either he's a Hall of Famer or he's a not, and yeah. and you you, you vote think, on him in, in terms of credentials or not, no, right? I, I don't I don't believe that. No, no, I don't believe that. I think there's a there's a politics to everything, and I certainly think there's a politics to getting the and Hall so, of Fame. So so you're saying that, and, and this has been long thought about in baseball terms too. Yeah. He never got along with the media. So the media now gets back at him yeah, for and, not... Yeah, and very differently from baseball, where it's literally the baseball writer's right, vote. That's right. a very direct thing. I, I, I'm just saying, I could see people saying, Marshawn and who he is is yeah. not Hall of Fame-ish, even though his his career, how he might played, yeah. might very yeah. well be. Yeah. All right, so uh, Peter King on all of that stuff in the NFL, including the Seahawks. Corey Brock... From The Athletic, he's a local guy. He covers the Mariners for The Athletic. He's going to talk about the M story, which he finds very interesting despite all the recent losses. He thinks he thinks watching them closely this year for some reasons, like pieces that will be around in the future, mm-hmm. pieces that won't be around, who they're going to trade off at the deadline, all of that Jerry DePoto stuff. 
he thinks is interesting. He'll tell you why. A woman named Lauren Kirschman is going to be a guest on episode 38. She's the Washington Huskies beat reporter for the News Tribune right. in Tacoma. You probably followed it. Jacob Sermon transferring, not transferring, leaving, going back. It's like watching a tennis match. She's got the latest of why he was and now why he isn't. All brought to you by, and I want to come back to this whole thing called the transfer portal. Portal. Something new. I don't like new things. I didn't like it when they started doing walk-off, walk-off home runs. They used to be game-winning home runs. Now we've got the transfer portal, which I can't stand. Uh, all brought to you by Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, headquartered right here in Bellevue. Find out more about what Tyler and the guys do, evergreengolfcall.com, the Evergreen Exchange podcast. I'm pushing to co-host, by the way. Zeke's Pizza, if you listen to Mitch Unfiltered, that you know Zeke's Pizza delivers pizza, craft beer, salad, cider, mix and match right to your door and not a third-party delivery service. Order from Zeke'sPizza.com. Daniel's Broiler with two reminders about two very special occasions. Mother's Day at Daniel's, awesome. Also the brunch at the new location and our second-ever Mitch Unfiltered special evening on June 12th, which I'm about to talk about, the eve of the U.S. Open, MitchUnfiltered.com to reserve very limited seats and the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. If you have a mortgage, if you own a house and you have a mortgage and enjoy Mitch Unfiltered, then do me a favor, take a look at your terms. If a refi sounds intimidating, Jordan Flowers will tell you it's not. His team is there to make it easy for you to put cash in your pocket. Find the loan to fit your life. Select from hundreds of loan products tailored to your needs, 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Are you finally ready to start the show? I think so, yeah. All right. We've got stories to tell that might get edited out. (laughs) It's episode 38. Unfiltered. I've been thinking about DK Metcalf a lot, and I just can't get beyond the fact that he is all of this good kid, faster than fast, bigger than big, stronger than strong. How did he not have a more... What the hell happened? How is that guy from Oxford, Mississippi telling me he wasn't even the best receiver on this team? I'm weirded out by this. Unfiltered. If I received an email from somebody saying, Mitch, would you please unblock me? I immediately unblocked him. And not only did I unblock him, I sent every one of them an email back saying, done. One word, done. So I don't want to hear the crap. Are you over there implying that people are saying I emailed him but he never unblocked me because if they did they're lying through their ass Mitch is unfiltered you were once in a place that you had never heard of before now you used to be in the transfer portal Jason Hamilton, many, many years ago, was in the transfer. How was it? What was it like being in the portal? Tell me. I was I'd never like to know it. in the transfer portal. <laughs> I, no one in America knew I was in the transfer portal. Oh. Except San Diego State. Yeah. And Washington. Ah. Whereas now. Yeah. Once you enter the electronic version of the transfer portal, everyone you knows. were were you the rookie of the year in your I was conference the freshman of the year in the conference yes how about that and look where you are now i, <laughs> I have 
My stock. Look what's become of you. Listen, my stock has risen <laughs> since my stock you has were risen. The, you were the freshman of the year in the. the, at the what was time, it called? It, Mountain West. No, at the, well, it's basically the Mountain West now. Yeah, but it was the Washington Athletic. Washington Athletic Club. It was the whack. It was the whack. Yeah. Well, I'm so used to the Have whack. Have you ever here, been like, rookie of the year in the Washington no, Athletic no, Club? No, no, no. Um, you were you were freshman of the year. Yeah, I was the freshman of the year. How often does a freshman of the year in the conference transfer? Transfer after his freshman year. You transferred after your freshman year, no, right? No, I went I'm back for my sophomore well, year okay. and transferred my sophomore year. All right. Yes. All right. But you never were in the portal. I was. There was no such thing as the port. Would the you be internet in the would barely you, existed? <laughs> would you like to go into the port? Would you, if you had to do it all over again, would you get into the portal? No, because you just wanted to go to one place. Correct. Correct. Was, okay. And was there ever a doubt that that one place wanted you to come back? No. Okay. There was no doubt. There was no doubt. No. God, I wish I could go back. I, this is where I wish I was, Michael J. Fox, right now. You were Michael J. Fox. Did you see that photo of you in <laughs> Syracuse? The Daily Orge. Did you the Daily Orge? You were Michael J. Fox. 19, yeah. Do, do you not? Do we need to tweet that out again? You God, were no. Michael J. Fox. No. You had the pop collar. That was and the Carlos those were the days sweater. That my right hand actually, I could feel it. It worked back then. <laughs> Can't feel it right now. All right. Well, let me get some. Uh, let me get some Mitch unfiltered business. Business out of the way. I have not spoken to Lindsay or Shelly over at Daniel, so I'm just assuming because I haven't heard from them that June 12th is still have we still have some seats available for June 12th, the evening with us at Daniel's Broiler in Bellevue. Mm-hmm. We'll start with some hors d'oeuvres. We'll do some storytelling while the hors d'oeuvres are being passed around. This is what happened the last yeah. time. People loved it. Uh, we'll do the beer. We'll do the wine. We'll uh, we'll do the salads. <laughs> Uh, you get a choice of an entree of steak, salmon, or a vegetarian platter. Mm-hmm. Which one? You went steak last time? Always. Would you always go steak, or yes. would you ever do the salmon? Uh, no, I would do the salmon. But you would never go vegetarian on me, would I you? I would go vegetarian if I was over-staked or over-seafood really? during a stretch, yeah. You would. Yeah. See, I would n- I've never ordered a vegetarian meal in my life, ever. I wouldn't even know what a vegetarian meal is. Next time you're on a plane... Yeah. Tell me. I'm going to pre-order you the vegetarian meal. Ooh, that just sounds terrible. That would be the worst. That, there could really? be. There what, could, come, what do I get? A couple the, carrots? There couldn't be the, the zucchini and tofu platter. There couldn't be worse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you do that? No, no. Do you do no, that? No, no, no. All right. Uh, June 12th, we have some seats available, I'm sure. You get beer and wine, salads, steak, salmon, and veggies. You get garlic, mashed potatoes, broccolini, uh, the desserts, the parking, you get uh, hopefully Jay Ham and me. He's kind of a, a you know last minute guy like he always is. You get Q and A and and as I mentioned on thirty seven P, you get the Calcutta, the U.S. Oh. It's the night before. Let's go the U.S. Open yes. at Pebble Beach. We'll Let's start go. the next morning and we're gonna auction off the top like I don't know fifty players mm-hmm. to tables. We're gonna have a lot of fun. It's the uh, the second special evening at Daniel's Broiler, and the way you reserve your seat, I'm assuming there's still some seats available. Last time we did this, they went very quickly. I guess there's still some, because we expanded. We took a couple other bigger rooms, room, yeah, bigger yeah. rooms. We got 120 seats now, as opposed to like 60 or 70. Uh, you go to MitchUnfiltered.com. The banner across the top of the page says U.S. Open Dinner at Daniel's or something like that. Click it, make your reservation, be with us. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun on June uh, the 12th. Other piece of business before we get to Max Strong and see if she'll let it stay. 
PGA Championship leg number two of the Unfiltered Majors Challenge presented by our friends at Evergreen Golf Call. They're putting together a trip, another, you're a last minute decision, but a, a, a trip for two to Pebble Beach with us if yeah. you decide to come yeah. in July. You got to get your pick in for the PGA Championship. This is the first year where they have the they don't have the Masters and then two months until the U.S. Open. The PGA Championship is less than like 10 days away when people are actually mm-hmm. listening to That's episode right. 38. Right. So get your selection in. Now, people are probably asking, what if I didn't make a Masters choice? It doesn't matter. You can right. get hot. Yeah, you can win the last three and still win. You can pick the winner of the PGA Championship right now, yeah. and you're probably right there for mm-hmm. the grand prize. So whether you have made a choice of the Masters or you we're taking – the total purse of your That's four right. selections, adding it together, and we're going to crown a grand champion at the end of the four majors and in July because because the last major this year is the British Open. That's right. A couple of weeks, or I think it's the week after the British Open, you're getting on a plane, and we're going to Pebble Beach. Mm-hmm. I'm going. The winner and a guest is going. Hopefully, you're going. We're going to play Pebble. We're going to play Spyglass. We're going to stay at the Lodge at Pebble Beach. We're going to eat. We're going to shop. You got to make it. That's good stuff. We're hoping that Jay Ham's going to be there. It's all brought to you by Evergreen Golf Call. Make your selection now. We are taking your picks. Again, go to MitchUnfiltered.com. If you haven't made a, a pick by the Masters, you probably know where to go. You've already... You know, bookmarked it. But if you mm-hmm. haven't, you can go to our website and find out where you go. Okay. Um, have we started? Have we started the show? Oh yeah, yet? we started the show. We did. Yeah. Okay. What's next? The Max Strong story. That's right. The that Max... may or may not stay That's in. That's right. We gotta, okay. We so gotta what go I'm gonna it. I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say three, two, and one. And right after that, if we go to the next story, you know that we pulled out the Max Strong story. <laughs> That's okay. Great. Yes. And if you hear the Max Strong story, that means it was allowed in at least a version of it. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe with some censorship yeah. was it. It's a very. It's a. I think it's a very cute story. Okay. Personally, I think it's a very cute story. Okay. My wife is a little, you know, you know, doesn't want to come off looking like a a non sports fan. Okay. We were living in another home, and I was in the office of that home preparing for the morning show. Mm-hmm. And she was out with, I think, Max, who's now 16, and he was... Your son, Max, not my Max son, Max. Strong. Yeah. No, Max, Max. Yeah. He was, he, was, he was a little boy, a little toddler. Yeah. And they went to the park in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they came back in, the doors open, and my wife came into the, to the, to the office and she said, I just met the nicest man. Mm-hmm. He asked me who I was. I told him my name. I asked him what who he was, and he said, my name is Mac. She said, oh, yeah, hi, Mac. What's your last name? And he said, Strong. And she said, and what do you, what do, you do for a living? Mm-hmm. And he said, I play for the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> and she came back, and she said, do you know a Mac that plays for the Seattle Seahawks? And I think I said, I, I've heard of I've him. I've heard of him. I've I, heard of him. I know that guy. Second and ten. Right. Second. <laughs> 
second, second and ten, ten handoff <laughs> dive the dive, dive for four or yeah, five right, yeah. the dive for four or five and that and that's the story she had run in he was living in our neighborhood uh, and he had a little toddler at the same time uh-huh. and the two toddlers matt on uh, my max yeah and his whomever yeah um were playing and he was and she said he was the nicest man nicest i just met the nicest guy and his name is mac and everybody thinks that mac strong's the nicest he is guy, a right? nice guy do you know do you know mac at I all i do and his wife zoe and actually more my wife and his wife are closer they're <laughs> oh i love it she said that's it's totally not the, wrong when you want to come in and tell the story that's the way i remember the story i, I might did i say something wrong come on Tell the story, Sharon. Say it from over there. Here, I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna turn his mic up really high so oh, that you'll yeah, go through. This. Tell, tell just, the story. What did I get wrong? What? What did I get wrong? Just yell. What I got wrong? <laughs> She's laughing. What no, no, I, no. Just, just tell. tell just, tell just tell what we got. What I got wrong? I think he told it wrong, and you're you clearly think I, it's wrong. All he said was, first of all, there were two guys, and I don't remember the other neighbor. Okay. All he said was, "My name is Mac." I never asked his last name. I, we never asked what each other does. So I had no idea that he played for the Seahawks until I came home and you told me. I like it. I had no idea. I thought you came back and you asked me, no? You didn't come back and say, do you know a Mac that plays for the Seattle Seahawks? Okay. All right. I'll go with her part of the day. I like this. You like I, li- you I like this. Okay. I like I, this. I I don't remember it that way, but that could be. Yeah. My memory's not that good. We have so. to go to the judges. Well, who's the judge? Me. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I I I I believe her version of the story. Okay. I believe, right. her, I believe right. her version of the story. Okay. I don't know why it's is it why no, it matters either, why it's so either, different. Either not way, that different. Either way. Yeah. There was an interaction. Yes. With Max Strong and my wife. Yes. Yes. That she probably didn't recognize and maybe because it was just a first name basis and yeah then yeah it became well he does wear a helmet he d- d- you d- know and football and, players wear helmets and, and they're listen, not as distinguishable as baseball players if there is and basketball players yeah there you go okay well that's okay. all right i would recognize you know russell wilson or It's fair. It's fair. fair. And I don't know that a lot of people wouldn't, back in those days, wouldn't recognize Max Strong. No. God bless him. I don't. I hope he's no. not listening and taking no. offense to this. No. But uh, I don't I think a lot of people would. The wouldn't. only way that you would. Huh? Yes. They did just move. They, All right. Well, we're recording now. We're, we're going to go off to the next subject. <laughs> the, now she, see, now she wants to like host the show. Yeah. See? So the only reason that you would recognize Max Strong is because. He does have a giant, giant neck and head. And you'd go, he has to do something very, very physical to have a neck yeah. and head that large. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we bring this up because it's episode 38. That's right. All right? That's right. So let me just run through real quickly, and you can decide whether, well, you said you, you've retired from deciding. Is that right? Yeah. Max Strong is the Seahawk. There's no Sonic that ever wore 38. Wow. No. Never, 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 ever. Okay. No Sonics. Or 39 either, so don't ask me on 39. Okay. Uh, a lot of Mariners, interesting Mariners, but not that great. Floyd Bannister wore 38. Danny Tartable wore oh, 38. Mike Jackson, the reliever, wore 38. Joel Pinheiro wore 38. Jason Vargas 
Well, he's still pitching. I saw him the other night on ESPN. Hmm. Still pitching. Jason Vargas. Just some of the 38s that you would remember from the Seattle Mariners. Um, if you're going to go national, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner, I, I don't remember what year he won in 1980, maybe 80, something like 80, 81. George Rogers, do you remember him? South Carolina, you don't remember him. Uh, played for the Saints, did not have a distinguished uh, NFL career, played for the Saints and the Redskins, but won the Heisman out of South Carolina. He's a Gamecock. Uh, he wore number 38. Some guy in the NHL I've never heard of, Pavel Dimitra. No, no, good try. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, he, he wore 38. And then the best 38 of all, who I don't really like, I don't care for, 213 wins in, an, in a Major League Baseball career, 3,086 strikeouts in a Major League Baseball career. Two World Series titles uh, with two franchises, the Red Sox and the Diamondbacks. The Bloody Sock. Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling wore number 38. And he's probably the greatest 38. And I don't know why I never liked Kurt Sch Why don't I like Kurt Schilling? There's a lot of reasons, probably. Okay. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm right there on board with you. Really? But, why don't you like but, Kurt Schilling? He's just, yeah. I mean, do we need to go down this rabbit hole? We don't. It's not for any baseball reason. It's, it's his post-baseball. Political yes, career. His kinda, gaming company. Oh, yeah. He had all, problems. Yeah, yeah, all that. Yeah, like, yeah, he basically yeah. shafted so, investors. and did So, like, Kurt Schilling is out? No, I mean, like, you have He's a, the best one. You've got a choice to make. I do. Max Strong. Big neck. <laughs> I think my wife will choose Max Strong over Kurt Max Schilling. Uh, okay, real quickly, let me get to a couple of notes, and then we'll okay. get to the guests, and we'll finish it up like we normally okay. do. Couple of notes. Um, first of all, reaction to episode thirty-seven P. How'd that go? Really, really good, and I was really, really worried. That was a, an episode unlike any other show. It was for the patrons, and we'll do. 38p on thursday for the patrons mm -hmm. it was weird 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 we had we had segments on signs in bathrooms we had segments on automated message machines yes. we had movie mogul max oh. who got rave reviews solid by the way don't don't he doesn't want you to look him in the eyes when he comes in tonight oh he's got yeah. a he's oh, got a he's demand like letter. sylvester stallone yeah. now he's like he's like the king he yeah. walks around here thinking like yeah. he's something really, really – he's floating. Mm -hmm. He's got his own now Twitter, Ma Movie Mogul Max. Yeah. He sees all the compliments he's getting. He's got the biggest – you think I got a big head? He's got the biggest head in the joint now, I Movie was, Mogul Max. I was expecting to come in here and have a bowl of Skittles with all the yellow ones picked out. <laughs> like he's got he's got demands. He's got demands. Yes. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's tough to deal with right now. So w what do you think? 37P was a – I love doing 37 An instant classic. It was fun. It was fun. We, Much different. It's actually, we're not too far off based on what we've done today, if, assuming all this actually fits in. Yeah. Because we've gone rogue, having me take off the headset a couple of times. Yes, and, and have to go ask. Yes, your yeah, wife come yeah. in a couple of times. So yeah. Should we leave all that in? I think it's the best, but you know, it's not up to me. I was the Well, maybe on your way out, you yeah, can try I'll, to convince I'll try me, because you're not going to listen to me. I'll try So, that. um... I think I'm the answer to a trivia question. Okay. I think I'm the answer to a trivia question. Okay. How many people in this world attended 
the four <laughs> overtime NBA playoff game and the six overtime college basketball game between UConn and Syracuse in 2009. How many people in the world were in both gyms, were in both arenas for those two, two of the, lo- the, the one of the longest college games in the history of college and tied for the longest playoff game in the history of the NBA. Is there anybody more than me that were in both of those arenas? I would love to to examine this further to see, is there another? Because that is two games, historic classic games yes. that you were a part of. Yes. I drove down to Portland for a, a kid's baseball tournament mm-hmm. and decided to go early on Friday or early-ish on Friday so I could get down there. I was the guest of Brian Wheeler, awesome. the voice of the Trailblazers, gave me four tickets. And so I took three of the boys of the tournament, and I we went to the we went to the game and had a blast. Now, I will tell you, I was driving south on 405, and I got to the part where I get on five going south in South Center. I, I, got, I get to that point, and um, I might have gotten on five going north, Instead of five going south, no way. And, and I may not have realized it until I got to about downtown, downtown Seattle. <laughs> you're, I, please tell me you're <laughs> no. joking. Boeing Field, yeah. I'm like, what the hell is Boeing Field doing on my left? We were talking because you were in the carpool lane on the left and you looped in. I, I don't know what I, I still don't know what I no, did. That's I've what only you did. made this trip. That's what you did. Fifty times. That's exactly. What 20, you did. I don't know what I did. But I started seeing Boeing Field, and I started seeing Marginal Way, and I'm like, because I wasn't really paying that close attention. I was talking to the boys, and we might have the music on, yeah. whatever. And and all of a sudden, I've got yeah. Boeing Field on my left. I'm like, how am I? Oh my god! Yeah, I'm driving to Portland, and I took five yeah. going the wrong direction. You're driving to Vancouver, BC. Is what you're doing. <laughs> So uh, I was in the joint. Did you watch? Of course. For, for now, so here's the, so now ask me if we stayed the whole time. Mitch, did you please tell me you stayed? Did not stay the whole time. At what point did you okay. depart? So here's the story. The story is that the kids had a tournament in in I think Beaverton, Oregon, mm-hmm. starting the next morning, Saturday yeah. morning. The game, the NBA game, started at seven forty-five. Right. It was supposed to start at seven thirty, but the early yeah. game lasted yeah, yeah, long. Yeah. The slide, so, so seven, the slide, as we yes, call it. Okay, the TV. slide. Yes. 745. They had to be up at 530. They had an 8 o'clock in the Ooh. morning and had to be at the field at 7, and the field was 45 minutes away from the hotel. It was across Portland to the east. We were on the west, I think, of Portland. We had to yeah. go to the east. It was 45 minutes. So they had to be up at 530. So now I've got three players on the team who have to be up at 530, 13-year-olds. And you, you've got a 13-year-old, don't you? 12. 12, yeah. okay, close. Uh, how is she on, on five-hour sleep? Oh, no. How's that going to work out Not for good. us? So, And I've got parents waiting at the hotel for me to return their kids yeah. who have to get up at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah. And this game, Keeps Murphy's going. Law, just going and going. I'm like, oh, my God. I thought I was doing a nice thing. This yeah. is t- I'm going to be like the, 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 hated, the hated parent. Yeah. And so... The kids, I'm looking at the kids. So finally, I just said to the kids, hey, look, I'm not making this decision when we leave. You're making the call. You three of you guys get together on this and make your decision. And they decided at the beginning of overtime number three. Beginning. The beginning of overtime number three that if either team got a six-point lead, we're going to run out. Now, here's the additional problem that I didn't tell you. 
Wheels had me park, and I hope Wheels is listening right now. Mm-hmm. Wheels had me park in a garage on like the fifth floor of a garage. If we leave when everybody else leaves, we're in that garage oh, with a 5.30 wake-up oh, call, yeah, sure. probably an hour, an hour and a half. So yeah. we got, I got that on my mind. So we get to the third overtime, and the, I don't know if you remember this, but the Blazers score two really quick baskets, and they get to four, and the boys go, let's go. And we just start running. Okay, we start running. And that we, was actually probably pretty fun, right? Because you guys had this this thing that you were you were holding on to to say this is the signal and we're done. But we, we we were supposed to wait till six. I know. But we got four quick ones and we just had a sense. They had a sense that okay, Portland's going to run away yeah. in the third overtime. Yeah. A lot of good that did. So we 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 run to the car to get out of that garage and we start driving. Okay, and we turn the car radio on and you can't get any signal in the garage until you leave the garage. Yeah. By the time we left the garage. The Denver Nuggets had scored the next eight, and Portland was down four, and then it went to a fourth overtime, and we're driving down. Now, the funny part to this and the sad part at the same time is Wheels wasn't calling the game. Wheels has a medical thing going on. He took a – he took a – the last call that he made was the Lillard – yeah, the, the, the 37-footer. And yeah. then he took a leave of absence. So he's at home. He's not even – he says he's okay. So, But but he's not even – so we're listening on the radio to his replacement. Right. Okay? And we're driving down and we're just – I hate to tell you, I was going pretty fast to get these kids back in the hotel. By now it's like, I don't oh, know, midnight. It's, midnight. it's yeah, pretty close say, to midnight. Yeah. And we're driving down and listening to the radio and, and now it's going to a fourth overtime and all of us are going, oh, we should have never left. What did we do? It could get, This is history. Yeah. And the guy starts the fourth overtime. The radio announcer starts the fourth overtime going, what's unbelievable is there's 20,184 people and not a soul has left the building. Except us four. And we're out of here. And we're all going, yeah, yeah, no, that's not true. Here we are. So we got home and we got back to the hotel and still saw on TV. Did you? You saw the, the end. What an unbelievable you, game. You, hold on a second. I got to divert real quick. Did you have any parents going like, you no, brought my son home no, at all. They were all watching. Everybody was watching. Yeah, of course. It was. A, did you watch? Of course. It was unbelievable. And how about we the, were there? Listen, it was unbelievable. I, I don't know if you saw. I'm really going off the scale here, but yeah, you, you didn't see the the uh, Jamal Murray step back three to end the the third overtime, which because you wouldn't. Have oh seen yes, that. I heard it, and I was like, and it was a bad shot. Same, yeah, it was a clanker. That's the same shot that Damian Lillard shot. In against Oklahoma City, a step back thirty-five yeah. footer. Yeah. When the game is tied. Yeah. It's not a good shot. Then he missed it. It's definitely not a good shot because okay, he missed now, it. You know what people are going to yell at you? What? One guy's name is Jamal Murray, and one guy's name is Damian Lillard. Yeah, and Lillard was eight of seven of eleven. Eight of twelve. Eight of twelve. Yeah. Different story. Different. Blah blah. What, blah. What's a good shot for some is not a good shot Bad for shot. others. Bad I'm just shot. defending. You know, I agree with you, bad shot. But I'm, I'm, I'm just yelling. I'm telling you what they're yelling at their podcast right now. And I told you, yes. had Damian Lillard missed that shot, that's what we would have been talking about. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about now because Jamal Murray missed the shot instead of okay. being tied going to the rim. I want to talk about Nikola Jokic, the Kentucky Derby, yep. Jermaine Effetti, uh, maybe the Rockets, maybe this guy Metcalf, the receiver, DK Metcalf, mm-hmm. and, and minicamp for the Seahawks. Three great guests coming up, and then you and I will finish the show off, mm-hmm. okay? Yep. Uh, the three guests are Peter King. Great. They are uh, Corey Brock, talking Mariners' uh, first 
month of the season. Yeah. And Lauren Kirschman, right. who is the beat reporter, University of Washington Huskies beat reporter on that spring game, on the Jacob Sermon thing, on the question marks surrounding the Washington Huskies football team, on the good things, on the not so good things. We'll get a we'll get a, a, a an in depth look at the University of Washington. Jason, you've heard me say over and over and over again that Evergreen Govcall is the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. CEO Tyler Hay is one of the 40 under 40 in the Puget Sound Business Journal, but not for long because he's going to be over 40 soon. Thinks he can play basketball but can't. You know that Evergreen Govcall is the reason why a listener and his or her guest will be traveling to Pebble Beach with me in July just a month after the U.S. Open, staying at the Lodge, playing Pebble, playing Spyglass, and just a few weeks after the U.S. Open is there. Evergreen Golf Call helped me give away 44 prizes in the Unfiltered Madness competition, which was the biggest NCAA tournament office pool anywhere in the Northwest. We're talking Evergreen Golf Call, managing over $2 billion in assets, 2018's fastest-growing wealth manager, over three decades of experience with a newsletter that reaches over 10,000 readers with offices in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Well, drafts are out of the way. Mini camps now. Certain mini camps are in our rearview mirror. And here he is from Football Morning in America, Peter King. And all I'm going to say is this. Peter won't say it, but I'll say it. If you don't read Football Morning in America, especially this post-draft edition, then I've got to question your credentials as, a, as an NFL football fan. I just have to do it. Peter won't do it, but I'm going to do it. That was one great piece of work, but it's every year you do a, a great job on the draft, Peter. Thanks a lot, Mitch. Well, this was, this was a fun year this year because what ended up happening was at the, I wouldn't say at the last minute, but with, with a week or so to go, I thought I was going to get in a draft room, but I did not get in this draft room. And so I just said, okay, there isn't one single story this year. I think there's two or three stories. So I ended up going to Denver on the first day. I went to Oakland and spent a Friday during the day with Mayock and Gruden. And then Saturday I went to Arizona and I, I didn't see Kyler Murray, but I spent some time with Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Keim, you know, the coach and GM who drafted him. And, and I just figured that if I couldn't get in a draft room, I wanted to take you to the most important stories of the week. And I think I hit them. I, I did not go to the Giants, but after they took Daniel Jones, I ended up spending some time in the column with you know, on the Giants and Dave Gettleman, their general manager, kind of a risky pick. But that was, it's the kind of column that is fun to do because usually my column, I do one dominant lead, but this time I did three or four stories that really any of which could have led the column. It was fun to do and it was good to be able to service a lot of different fan bases this year. There's a lot that I want to ask you, uh, particularly about some of the notes in your column. But before we get there, the most important question is undoubtedly, how many espressos on the flights did you have 
<laughs> Mitch, that's the craziest thing that I've ever heard asked on any airplane flight in my almost 40 years of traveling for work. I'm on a flight last week from LaGuardia to Denver, from New York to Denver, and the, the, the cart, the beverage cart, pauses in the row behind me and the flight attendant says anything to drink and the guy at the window says yes espresso please <laughs> and i immediately said that is the funniest thing i've ever heard on an airplane there's someone who boarded a flight in the united states who believes that the harried flight attendants going down the center of the aisle uh, are somehow, some way, going to be able to brew some espresso for the poor chap. And uh, he was very snooty and snit- snitty when he found out that there would be no espresso on Delta Flight 1946. Peter King, Football Morning in America. Any consensus? <laughs> any consensus around the league about how John Schneider did and? Uh, what I'd like you to do is segue into Ziggy. We're all talking about Ziggy in the Pacific yeah. Northwest. Where is Ziggy going to land? Is Ziggy healthy enough to play? Does he have an okay shoulder? Is he going to be on the field? Uh, answer those two questions. Well, both good questions. I think the one thing about what the Seahawks did in this draft is, and you can always trust John Schneider to do this you can always trust him to turn some chicken feathers into chicken salad because you know obviously entering the draft with only four picks and clearly it's easy to rejigger your draft into some extra picks if you're going to trade a talent like frank clark but you know i know for for a fact that that John Schneider was uh, very, very moribund, very unhappy and feeling like he had failed when he realized that, you know, it's going to be the best thing for the franchise long-term to trade Frank Clark as, as long as we can get value for Frank Clark. And getting a one and a future two, I think, for Clark is about the best value anybody could have gotten, considering that even though it's a low one and probably going to be a low two next year, I think the whole issue comes down to this, Mitch, that if you are trying to get the most you can for a good player, you you have to realize everybody is saying, well, geez, he's a pass rusher, and he's going to get 12 or 13 sacks for the Chiefs this year. They should be willing to pay a one and, one and a two. But it isn't just paying the one and the two. It's the fact that the Chiefs have to turn around and basically pay Frank Clark 12% of their cap each year on average for the next four or five years. And so you don't get the benefit of being able to get a salary manageable player Mm -hmm. down there low in the round, as clearly they would have been able to do. But, But anyway, I think John Schneider made the best of a kind of a bad situation and then he continued to flip picks like you know a lot of people these days they'll they'll go into business and they'll buy houses and they'll fix them up and they'll flip them for higher value that's the story of john schneider's life as i wrote my column a couple of weeks ago john schneider would rather trade than breathe and i think that is the uh that's the story of this draft for them 
And as far as the return on their investment, I'm going to have to plead incomplete on that and plead a little bit dumb on this just for very, very simply because I really not have not yet spent much time analyzing okay. any team's draft or looking into who did well, who didn't, because I think at the end of the day, we always end up sort of making a fool of ourselves <laughs> uh, because we don't, you know, grading drafts after drafts is, is kind of hilariously dumb. But anyway, that's, that's a few thoughts. How about Ziggy? It's a good, it's a good question. Um, first of all, Mitch, I'd love to hear it because I have not read the returns. I want to hear the returns. I want to hear the initial thoughts about him from both the media and fans in Seattle. Well, I think people are a little bit concerned. They need a pass rusher. They, they drafted yep. in the first round a guy out of TCU that's supposed to be a terrific pass rusher but might not be right out of the gate. And here's a guy who has done nothing but you know sack the quarterback the last many years when he is on the field. Yeah. And Detroit yeah. Lions fans are, are perennially frustrated that Ziggy's not on the field. Right. He's got shoulder problems. He's got And so – the question is, are are you willing to give him a year and maybe ten or twelve million dollars then and have incentives for sacks and, and appearances on the on the active roster during games and all that kind of stuff? That's exactly the way you have to build a contract for a player like that. Because you know, look, I remember when he first came in the league, he was very sort of inexperienced in football. Uh, he had not played a lot of football, I think, at Brigham Young, right? And he hadn't played a lot of football. And he came in, and he had like a year, year and a half of really, really good play. And it reminded me a little bit of Mike Mamula, the combine warrior, who had become so great so fast after being sort of a workout wonder at Boston College. And so, look, I, I think – the only way that we're going to know whether Ziggy Ansah is going to is going to produce for this team is if you were to tell me how healthy he's going to be. I think he is a very good risk to take, but financially, the only way you can do this is to protect yourself against further injury. The great Peter King is with us. Football Morning in America. It is a must-read, especially the ones that he does after the draft. Hey. Talk to me about Dave Gettleman. He seems to be the most talked about figure in the NFL coming out of the draft. He took the quarterback high. He now has rationalized his decision in certain people's minds by fabricating that he knew that two teams would have stolen the quarterback had he had he passed and tried to get him later in the first round. What do you make of the whole Giants quarterback Dave Gettleman GM saga? Well, first of all, I don't think anybody can tell you with absolute certainty yes or no on whether Daniel Jones would have been there at number 17. As I wrote my column this week, I do not believe that Daniel Jones would have been picked by the 17th pick. Every general manager has to take a calculated risk. And you know what, the, uh, what Dave Gettleman decided to do in an ideal world, you know, what he really wanted to do uh, was he wanted to take a pass rusher at six and a quarterback at 17. But 
he felt there was absolutely no way that he could take Josh Allen, you know, the pass rusher from, uh, from Kentucky at six, and then be sure that he was going to be able to get Daniel Jones, who was the Giants' choice at quarterback at number 17. Now, there's been a lot that's been said and written and, and opined about in the last few days about this. But because I believe that the two teams he thinks would have taken him are Denver at 10 and Washington at 15. I don't believe either team would have taken him there. As I wrote this week, I was in Denver, and I know factually that the number one quarterback on their board was Drew Locke of Missouri. So if somehow, someway, he got the impression that Denver was going to take him, take Daniel Jones, then he was misled. And that's there. And uh, I, there are people in Washington who I'm sure take great delight in flummox, flummoxing the Giants on their draft <laughs> and forcing them to take the quarterback at six uh, instead of getting Josh Allen at six. And for, for Washington, it turned out to be a, a great thing that they were able to convince somebody somehow, some way, that they wanted Daniel Jones. So if you're Gettleman and you want to make absolutely certain you get Jones, you're going to have to take him at six. My only problem with that, Mitch, is a, is a simple one. I think as a general manager, you have to take some calculated risks. And this would have been a calculated risk. And if the worst thing happened and you weren't able to get D- Daniel Jones at six, then you take Drew Locke at 17 or you take Dwayne Haskins at 17. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I have not talked to anybody. I have not read anybody. I've not heard anybody who is so absolutely convinced uh, about Daniel Jones' ability and his prospects for being great that uh, he was worth losing one of the two best pass rushers in this draft. Peter, So, t- in my opinion, my opinion, the Giants made a mistake on this one. Peter, Tyreek Hill's attorney sent the NFL a letter proclaiming his innocence in the wake of that damaging audio tape. You mentioned it in your column. Uh, Kansas City also, I believe, took a real fast wide receiver in the second round. Uh, what's coming, and should it already have happened with Tyreek Hill and the Chiefs, Peter? I I think you've got to give Tyreek Hill his his day in court and his day in the NFL investigative process. For those who would look at what the lawyer said, who represents Tyreek Hill, see, we told you Tyreek Hill's innocent. Uh, you know. That seems a little bit knee-jerk to me. Look, the one thing I would say about this is that Tyreek Hill has on his resume uh, from his time in college, he punched his pregnant girlfriend in the stomach and was disciplined for that, had to transfer schools because of it, and the Chiefs gave him a chance. And according to everything the Chiefs said over time, he's been a model citizen. Now, you know, this appears to be in conflict with that. Uh, the charges by his uh, fiance, uh, you know, in a in an audio taped recording. Uh, I, I guess I would just say this, Mitch. I I don't know what happened. I don't think any of us really know what happened. There's enough smoke there that I think the Chiefs did the right thing in uh, trading up to draft Nicole Hardman 
who is the Tyreek Hill of this draft. He's a 4-3-1 sprinter. He's sort of a slight receiver, runner, major, major weapon. What makes Tyreek Hill so special, though, is that he's been very durable. He's very physical for a very skinny guy. And so that is what Nicole Hardman is going to have to prove. Now, just my gut feeling, I don't think Tyreek Hill's ever going to play another snap for the Chiefs. And before he ever plays in the NFL, just my gut feeling, he's probably going to have to undergo some significant counseling and therapy if, and I underline if, he is found to uh, be guilty in this case or found to have any responsibility for the the abuse done on his on his three-year-old son. Peter, let me get a few quick comments on these last few items. The Miami trade for Josh Rosen, I believe, everybody believes, was a great value. Uh, are you open-minded to the idea that Rosen can still be a very good quarterback? That's my question. I think Rosen can be a very good quarterback, but he better be very good very fast in Miami because Miami is going to have a top pick next year. They have extra picks in the second, third, and fourth round. So if they need to move up in the first round from wherever they are, they're going to have great ammunition to do so. So Josh, uh, Josh Rosen has a chance, but he's going to have to be good fast. You mentioned in your piece that you think that something might be up physically with Cam Newton and his health because they drafted the West Virginia quarterback. Expand just a little bit on that. Well, I don't know, Mitch. All I'm saying is that you know Cam Newton in two of the last three years has undergone surgery in uh, you know shoulder related surgery, and so you know the the Carolina Panthers pick a quarterback in the third round. That seems to be a little bit more than just a cheap insurance policy to me. That seems to say to me that, you know, the Carolina Panthers are backstopping Cam Newton because they aren't positive about his long-term future in his shoulder. And finally, you did a nice job in your piece on the, the, the retirement of Marshawn Lynch hanging up his cleats on the phone, on the telephone wire again. Now the question is, Canton, Ohio is the next stop or no for Marshawn? Well, I don't know if I'll be a voter six years from now. I sort of doubt I will. But if I am, I would look kindly on his case because I think that one of the things that I always look for, I'm not, I'm not a slave to numbers when it comes to running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers. I also look at impact. And I think there was a four-year period in Seattle starting in, I think it was 11 when they were, or 12 when they were seven and nine. There's a four-year period where he was uh, at least uh, tied for the most important player in the franchise, Uh, you know, because they had to be able to run to win, and he helped them do that. And he really helped that franchise, as you saw, and became a beloved member of that franchise for life, regardless of what he does afterwards. And I just think that for that four-year period, all in all, he was the best running back in football. So, you know, I think, this is just a gut feeling, but I think if I'm voting, then he'll get my vote. He can look at Terrell Davis and maybe uh, maybe Davis's 
history of trying to get into the Hall of Fame helps Marshawn Lynch in some way. Well, they're really they're really different players because I'm I, and I'm going to guess at this. My guess is that uh, Marshawn Lynch probably had you know I uh, probably had 50 more starts than Davis. It's, it's something like that, at least maybe 60. You know, whereas Davis's career was really ended early by injuries, I would argue that that Marshawn Lynch got every last carry yeah. out of his body. My point, and and, and yeah. again, look, yeah, yeah, but but I and I, I would just say one other thing. You know, people now are are talking about Marshawn maybe coming back uh, after the injury to Isaiah Crowell in Oakland camp this week. I mean, it's it's over. I mean, he just. He's basically missed about half the games over the last three years. Maybe not quite that many, but he just has not been a durable guy. It's time for him to go. My point was just that Davis got in based on an incredible four- or five-year stretch, and that speaks to the four- or five-year stretch that you look favorably upon of of Marshawn Lynch here in Seattle. Listen – the, the, the piece, the, the column, always is great. This last one was awesome. Off the rails, awesome. Football morning in America. Very kind of Mitch Unfiltered. Enjoy your travels. Enjoy the college baseball. And have an espresso or two on me. Send me the bill, Peter. <laughs> Thanks a million, Mitch. Have a great weekend. There he is, the unmistakable voice of Peter King, football morning in America with all the post-draft NFL discussion ziggy should the seahawks go out and spend 10 12 13 million dollars on a one-year contract for a 29 year old pass rusher who when healthy is as good as anybody but's got a bad shoulder he's got problem knees he's been in and out of the lions lineup what will the seahawks do after that may 7th deadline comes and goes it seems like just about every day i go on to twitter And there are more and more and more pictures from listeners around the Puget Sound area that are enjoying Zeke's Pizza. And they all say the same thing. Hey, Mitch, we're at Zeke's because Zeke supports you. And I really, really appreciate it. We'll love to see more. I think that we should set up a hashtag, Zeke's and Unfiltered. Hashtag Zeke's and Unfiltered. Send me those pictures from any of the great 16 Zeke's Pizza locations from Linwood South to Tacoma. A proud Northwest company that features amazing pizza, fantastic salads, and a tremendous assortment of craft beer, which, by the way, they deliver. And a great family environment to have a terrific meal and watch a game, whether it's football, a Mariners baseball game, or a basketball game, the NBA playoffs. Get ready, Zeke's. I'm coming to I'm coming to Zeke's on Sundays to watch the Seahawks during the NFL season. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. We haven't talked a lot about the uh, the Seattle Mariners on Mitch Unfiltered, so let's do so now. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is an old friend. Formerly the MLB.com. Where else did you work before you got to the athletic, Corey? Oh, Mitch, it's a long list. No, I was at the News Tribune in Tacoma for a long time and left for MLB.com in 2006. Covered the Mariners that year, and then I was in San Diego for nine years covering the Padres. And now, um, in my second year, covering the Mariners again uh, for the athletics. So it's uh, been a lot of baseball, a lot of bad baseball, I guess I've watched really in, the, in my lifetime. But, uh, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun uh, being back in the Northwest and uh, writing about a very interesting team. It is interesting. If I had gone back and talked to you at uh, spring training time after all the trades were made and all the no-names were playing during the spring, and I said to you, Corey, okay, what's the best hope for a Mariners fan? Forget record, and maybe you want to include record, but what are we what are we searching for as Mariners fans in 2019? What would you have said to me back then? I would say uh, the quickest way to 2020, to be <laughs> honest with you. You know, and they you know they've made it pretty clear, and they've been pretty transparent about uh, what they're trying to do and how they've gone about doing it. Uh, this was always going to be. Uh, sort of the first year at the outset of their big rebuild with uh, aiming to be competitive again in mid-2020. I seem to think 2021 is a little bit more realistic. So uh, lo and behold, they bolt out of the gate. Uh, they hit more home runs than uh, any other team on the planet. And suddenly they're very interesting. But, you know, I think uh, what we've seen, you know, in the last couple of weeks here is a team starting to settle a little bit, maybe into uh, what they're going to be moving forward. But, yeah, I think we've all been surprised. I don't think anyone can say that they saw that hot start coming. Was that hot start a good thing? long-term in terms of long-term for Mariners fans to see or would we have been just better off seeing a team that was going to struggle to win but look for individual pieces that might be a part of the 2021 teams that you refer to you know kind of standing out and showing sparks a little bit yeah I think from an organizational standpoint and from uh, when you're trying to sell tickets and get people in the stadium I think it was a great thing uh, that they came out swinging and uh, played really well at the outset of the year um, a record sort of propped up on beating up on some pretty bad teams early in the season. And like I said, things are starting to level out here. But, you know, it's not going to stop. Uh, this fast start is not going to take any steam out of the rebuild. We're going to see, and we've already seen, uh, a few of the pieces of guys that they're going to be counting on in the future. And I would expect that to happen as we move you know, into summer here. So uh, if nothing else, it's an interesting team. Uh, you have some veterans, you have some young guys, you have guys with a lot of power, some guys that are taking walks. Really, the offense is a lot more dynamic than that group last year, uh, you know, the team that won 89 games. So, you know, they, they haven't been boring. I think uh, they got people interested a little bit again, but I think everybody realizes that the future is uh, where this team is uh, going to have its most of its success. The voice is Corey Brock. He's of The Athletic, formerly of MLB.com, local guy. Uh, you can follow him on the Twitter at Corey Brock MLB, and Corey's with an E, C-O-R-E-Y, Brock MLB. So let's talk about some of those guys. Obviously, there's a cross-section here. There's a group of veterans that Jerry DePoto in the back of his mind think, okay, let's get these guys off to hot starts. Let's get them some numbers before the All-Star break, and maybe we can move them at the trading deadline and parlay them into more younger players. And then there's the younger group where, okay, you could see these are the guys that Jerry is counting on in 20 and 21 and beyond. Kind of define who those guys are for our listeners, Corey. Yeah, and it's kind of been the same guys that we sort of thought. Edwin Encarnacion, the veteran uh, DH first baseman. Uh, he's got off to a relatively good start. Uh, Jay Bruce, veteran outfielder. Uh, average is pretty low, but he's been pretty unlucky in terms of balls and play. Uh, still offers a lot of power, a lot of leadership. I think these are the guys that they've always intended on 
moving. I would even add Anthony Swarzak, a uh, veteran relief pitcher who uh, someone might uh, want to take uh, a chance on here as we get closer to that July 31st trade deadline. And I think, you know, the, the hope all along is, yeah, you get these guys off to hot starts and then you eventually move them. And, you know, I don't think any of those guys individually are going to get you a dynamic prospect. But what you could maybe get in the sort of help with the rebuild uh, moving forward is maybe a compensation round pick, uh, draft pick to kind of add to your bevy of draft picks. So you're constantly kind of feeding the system. This is, got, you know, this rebuild has been about infusing the the once kind of dead farm system with some talented players and they were able to do that through those series of trades in the off season. So for the first time in a long time Mitch they have some really interesting guys on the farm. Those guys are coming. We'll, we've seen some, we'll see some more and some guys we won't see until next year or beyond, but I will say their farm system is in much better shape and I tell you what, if they can move those guys and get some uh, draft picks or even some, you know, fairly interesting prospects. I don't think they'll hesitate. I'm going to ask you about the farm system in a moment, Corey. Let's uh, define for me some of these guys. Is Beckham a guy of the future or is he a guy that they would look to move? Same question with uh, Ryan Healy and Santana. Santana, I'm assuming you're thinking, is a, is a piece for the future. W- where are those guys? Are they in the gray area? Yeah, I think Santana is a guy that you want to keep and you see a lot of value in him, not for just for this season, but for beyond. Uh, the other guys that you mentioned, uh, Beckham, certainly has uh, done some nice things with the bat. Defensively, though, it's really been a struggle for him. And you have this J.P. Crawford kid down yeah. in Tacoma who you yeah. got from the Phillies right. that you're very high on. Right. I, I think um, he would be, uh, Beckham would be a guy on the on the trading block. And Mitch, who was the third guy you mentioned? Well, I, I, I mentioned Santana, Beckham, Healy. How about D. Gordon? I mean, D. Gordon's been around for a long time. Maybe at the deadline you could get something for him if he has a good first half. Yeah, and, you know, Healy, Healy might get squeezed out here when uh, Kyle Seeger comes back at the end of the month from the hand injury. Uh, Gordon's another guy who's uh, off to a pretty good start. Um, and yeah, I think I think a lot of I think a lot of the roster is probably sort of um, in play in terms of talks, and we know that much about Jerry Depoto, right? You know, he'll he'll trade with anyone at any time, and uh, it's kind of a never say no. So, I, yeah, I, I'm really curious, Mitch, to see what this team looks like on August 1st. I have a feeling it could look dramatically different than it does right. today. How do you explain Mitch Haniger? He's uh, hit the ball out of the ballpark. He's driven in some runs, but he's had trouble getting on base on a consistent basis. Basis. What do you see? What's the word about Hanniger's first part of the season? Yeah, it's been a little hit and miss. I still think you see a lot of things that he can do well, uh, how he could uh, change the course of a game with one at-bat. He's got the raw power, um, you know, certainly a lot of gap power. He could run pretty well. He's a very good defender. Yeah, I think just kind of a slow start. And, you know, I think he had a little sore shoulder the other day, but I think he's going to be fine. He just needs a, a little bit a bigger body of work in terms of at-bats. But, you know, really, as I look at the roster, he's about the guy I worry about the least. Okay. Corey, talk about some of the guys that you mentioned uh, from a general sense before. The people they got in the trade, the Sheffields, the Crawfords, the Kalenics, the Duns, uh, those guys. Which of that group of young players and maybe some others will we see this year? And uh, if you have a report on how these guys are doing uh, in the first part of their seasons in the minor leagues, share it with us if you wouldn't mind. Well, yeah, and we've seen Swanson. He's been up a little bit yep, filling yep. in for Wade LeBlanc. Yep. 
um, sort of some hit and miss uh, results, which is not uncommon for a young guy. Uh, he probably pegs a little bit more as a four or five a back end rotation guy. We've seen Justice Sheffield. He came up the other day. Uh, to pitch after Yusei Kikuchi uh, through his sort of designated one-inning start uh, in the interest of kind of protecting his workload. And, you know, Justice was a little amped up. It took him 31 pitches to get out of that first inning, and then he's back in Tacoma. So we'll see him again at some point. And, this, you know, it's all kind of part of the acclimation process of getting these guys comfortable to the big leagues and knowing what to expect so you know i think we'll see a lot of those two guys moving forward uh mitch the guy i'm really excited about is this uh jared uh kalenic or yeah, kelnick or yeah. however you want to pronounce yeah, it yeah. he is in low a right now um he's a guy they got from the mets in the cano and edwin diaz deal a guy they really insisted on a guy they thought was the best position player in the draft a year ago and he's tearing things up in west virginia i would expect he ends up in high A Modesto uh, by the end of the year as a 18, 19-year-old, which is uh, which is pretty special. I think that's a, a good talent. The other guy I'll talk about is Logan Gilbert, that right-handed pitcher yeah, that, that they, they yeah. took with their first-round pick last year. He's already moved from West Virginia to uh, the California League, so they're really excited about him. And, Mitch, I think one of the things I like best about what the Mariners do in terms of player development is they're not afraid to challenge these guys by moving them up a level. Um, they actually want them to fail at these lower levels so they sort of understand the process of you know, how difficult the game is and as self-improvement and how you have to battle through some of these tough times so maybe you could handle adversity when you get to the big leagues. So they're very aggressive in moving guys. And as I look at the system, Kyle Lewis – Evan White, Justin Dunn, the pitcher they got from the Mets. Uh, it's a, it, this is as good and interesting a farm system as I've seen maybe in a few decades. Yeah, long time. I want to end with your piece on Felix Hernandez, but before I get there, you kind of jumped me on, on Kyle Lewis. I didn't want to finish without Kyle Lewis. It's been kind of a heartbreaking story for those of us that have followed such promise and such a, a quick start for Lewis when he first signed and got in, and then all the injuries, the catastrophic injuries, the knee injuries, and so forth. What do we expect? What will he end up? Will he be a big league player? Will he be a productive middle-of-the-lineup guy? What what can Mariners now adjusted sense on Kyle Lewis? What should it be at this point? Yeah, I think we'll have a better sense of that after this year, which will be maybe as, you know, he's healthy now. He's playing in double-A. Um, this is an opportunity for him to get, you know, 500 plate appearances and you'll sort of have a better idea of who he is and what he's going to be. But, you know, this is a guy that can hit for power. He could run a little bit. Um, his swing decisions are good. His knowledge of the strike zone, he's off to a little bit of a slow start. But um, the makeup's really good. And I seem to think that this guy is, is going to do well. In terms of what he could become, I absolutely think he could become a big league contributor at some point. He's only 23, but at this point he just needs to play and he needs a full season, and then we'll, I think they'll sort of take stock of where they're at after this year. Corey Brock of The Athletic, you did a piece last week on Felix, and there's been a lot of us, including me, that have been waiting for him patiently to kind of reinvent himself as most of the great power pitchers have to do at some point in his career. Uh, maybe it took a little longer than expected. Maybe you can get into what is it that he's throwing now that has led him to having some success, and was he resistant 
for a while there? Was he in some sort of a denial that he couldn't blow guys away at some point in his career when he, when he had to reinvent himself, Corey? Yeah, I think the separator for him this year is um, it has been his use and the quality of his curveball. He's throwing this pitch, Mitch, more than he ever has in his career. Remember, he's always been a, a fastball change-up guy. And, you know, years ago, he could just kind of rear back and throw that fastball by anyone and then throw the changeup because the speed differential between both pitches was so great. Well, now, you know, he's at a spot where, as you mentioned, some of these aging veterans, uh, these power pitchers are seeing uh, diminished velocity. And that's no knock on Felix. This happens to everyone, right? I think we've seen it across the landscape of baseball. So the differential between that fastball and changeup is not as great. And um, I think that's part of the reason he, he's struggled these last few years. But the curveball has been a really dynamic weapon for him this year. He's able to throw it to right-handers and left-handers. He's able to land it uh, more than he ever has in his career. And it's become a real good pitch for him and maybe sort of changed the narrative that this guy is is finished. So, you know, early on, the the results have been good. And, you know, you, you talk about it, you know, being reticent to change and maybe, maybe unable to do it, maybe a little bit of both. You know, I think it's probably been hard for him to let go of who he once yeah, was, yeah, right? Yeah. And the Felix that we all remember uh, pitching for all those bad teams where they'd score uh, one or zero runs for him, you know, but he, he kept the team in games just because he could overpower guys. So, Maybe that's been tougher for him to let go of, but he's he's only 33, and I seem to think that this guy has a lot of usefulness left in him. I don't know what the future holds for him. This is the last year of his contract, um, but you know, I think he understands that he would like to keep pitching, and uh, the best way to do that is to pitch well, and he's found this way, and he is he's running with it. And I think confidence and success really go hand-in-hand hand with him and really motivates him, and I think he's motivated by these results. Is the sample set large enough, or do we have to see it for a few more starts before we believe that uh, you know he's going through this kind of revolution, this this Frank Tanan, I'm an old guy. So, uh, you know, these guys that uh, started out by blowing people away and then had, you know, 15-year, 16-year careers because they learned to use the off-speed stuff. Yeah, I think, yeah, in any time, a greater sample size will probably give you a little bit better look as to how this will play. But I think the methodology behind it, Mitch, is is – it's something that can work. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, being willing to use this pitch more and sort of balance it with your two-seam fastball and with the changeup, I, I think there's no reason why this can't work. He's just going to have to, again, just really work on this diverse mix of pitches and not be fastball reliant. He just He's not that guy anymore. And I hopefully I think he's starting to understand that. So, you know, I, I see no reason why he can't continue to have success you know he's a number five starter, right? right and you know, right. I but he's he's been he's been pretty good so far. So I'm really curious to see where this is going because this is a big year for him. Last year was a miserable year for him. That yeah. was, you know, his ERA was pushing five and a half. But you know, he's he's done some good things. The command's been good, and he's engaged. He's upbeat, and uh, uh, it'll be fun to see where this goes. Going to be weird to see him in a new uniform or a different uniform. If that's the case next year, isn't it? Yeah, it sure would. And you know, you know, he's making twenty-seven million uh, wow. this year. Again, the last year of his deal, and I'm sure he'd like to get a new deal. I don't know what that would look like, but you know, the the best way to uh, sort of ensure 
uh, future contracts or at least give you the best chance is, is strictly through performance. So um, to this point, uh, he's certainly showing that he could still pitch. Corey Brock of The Athletic, I've always enjoyed your work. You've always been nice to me as well. Thank you so much. It's great to have you for the first time on Mitch Unfiltered, and I hope we can call upon you again sometime. Absolutely, Mitch. It was a pleasure talking. Thanks again. Corey Brock of The Athletic covers the Mariners for The Athletic, used to be with MLB.com and the News Tribune. He's been around for a long time, and it sounds to me like he thinks covering this team is very, very interesting. They may lose a lot of games when it's all said and done, but there are some interesting pieces that he'll be watching and will be watching for the future. And is Felix Hernandez playing in his final season as a Mariner, and what will he look like in another uniform next year? Because you know he's not hanging it up. Two huge events coming up. This Sunday is Mother's Day, the perfect opportunity to take your mom or the mother of your children to Daniel's Broiler. Both Daniel's Bellevue, Daniel's South Lake Union will be open from noon to 9. Daniel's Les Shy will be open for brunch 9 to 3, 4 to 9 for dinner on Mother's Day. Daniel's downtown location at the new Hyatt Regency has created a special Mother's Day buffet, carving station of ham and prime rib, Omelets to order, eggs Benedict, bacon, sausage, French toast, you name it. Downtown's Mother's Day buffet is 60 bucks for adults, 20 for children 6 to 10, and free for children 5 and under. Make your Mother's Day reservation today by going to danielsbroiler.com and clicking on the restaurant of your choice. And still some seats available for my June 12th Mitch Unfiltered special evening at Daniel's Bellevue, the eve of the U.S. Open. With a Calcutta pool, MitchUnfiltered.com to reserve your seat. Mother's Day this weekend at all four locations and our special evening on June 12th at Bellevue Place. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. It's time for a little Husky talk, a little Husky football talk. We haven't done that in a long time, and it's our first opportunity to chat with News Tribune Washington Huskies reporter Lauren Kirschman. And Lauren, I'll I'll say it right off the top. We're not going to hold your hometown of Pittsburgh against you, okay? We don't offer All right, the, I appreciate that. We don't <laughs> offer the same courtesy to Greg Bell. We we hold it against him all the time, but we won't hold it <laughs> against you. Now, last week we have the on-again, off-again relationship between Jacob Sermon and the University of Washington. Bothell High was in the program, was redshirted last year, I guess was in the spring practice a week and a half or so ago, and then all of a sudden he's in the famous or infamous transfer portal, which I don't know when this became a thing, but okay, the transfer portal. But then the next day, late last week, he was coming back to Washington after a chat with the coaching staff. What do you know about this, Lauren? Yeah, so like you said, early last week, both of UW's redshirt freshman quarterbacks, Jacob Sermon and Koyankov, put their name uh, in the transfer portal. And then Sermon reportedly had a meeting with Chris Peterson and offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Bush, Bush Hamden and took his name out of the portal. So now he will definitely be sticking around, at least for now. Um, Koyankov still has his name in the portal. So what that means is that other teams can contact him and reach out to him, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's leaving the program. He could also decide to come back as well. So right now he's still a little bit in limbo as to what he's going to do. I would expect him to stay in and transfer. 
but Jacob Thurman, um, as of right now, has taken his name out of the portal and is back at Washington. Okay, so let's do what I like to do best, which is speculate. What do you think was said <laughs> in that um, that discussion? To me, it looks pretty obvious that Jacob Eason is going to be the starter this year, although it's not been named. And the question for Sermon that he's probably trying to figure out is, is Jake Hayner ahead of me or is Jake Hayner not ahead of me? And therefore, if Eason were to leave after, let's say, one good year and go to the NFL, who would be the starting quarterback? Who would have the inside track to being the quarterback next year? Is that what this is about, do you think? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, if I were to uh, have a guess, I mean, Jacob Eason and Jake Hayner pretty much split the first team reps throughout spring practice. Um, and then you kind of had Thurman and Yankoff rotating in behind them with the second and third team. So at least right now, it appears that, I mean, Hayner is ahead of him. But I think uh, that conversation probably looked at what if Eason has the kind of season that a lot of people are expecting him to have and he leaves. Um, there's going to be an opportunity then next year for Sermon to maybe come in and beat out Hayner and, and get the starting job. So if I had to guess, I would say that was probably some of the conversation. And that, it'll be interesting to see what that rotation looks like um, come fall camp after they had that conversation and Sermon decided to come back. Why the delay in making Jacob Eason publicly the starter? The guy was a five-star recruit, one of the best quarterbacks <laughs> in America. He goes to Georgia. He starts his, what, true freshman year at Georgia, at least for a while. He doesn't come home redshirt a year to sit around and be the backup. Why, why are we going through this little, what I would say, game before we announce that Jacob Eason's going to be the starter next year? Um, I think there's a few things. I think Chris Peterson just isn't going to name a starting quarterback in the spring. He's just not going to do that. And I think also he's trying at least a little bit to take some of the pressure off. I mean, there was very early in spring practice, he, Chris Peterson really talked about Jacob Eason and how there was no possible way he could live up to all these expectations and how he thought it was unfair. So I think maybe in his own way, he's trying to ease up, keep those expectations down a little bit. I don't think it's going to work, <laughs> um, but I think that that might have something to do with uh, the road he's taking here and I just don't think in spring practice he's ever really going to come out when there's a competition and say that this guy has the job he has always talked about spring practice as just being a way to get everybody reps and get a look at everybody so I think at fall camp you'll start to see Ethan really pull away with the starting job all right uh, that's the voice of uh, Lauren Kirschman who's the uh, the reporter the University of Washington Huskies reporter for the News Tribune let's get a couple quick thoughts from you before you run on us Lauren uh, and we'll start with Eason and the spring game. How did he look? What's the consensus on whatever you can glean from a, a, a spring football game, a spring workout, a glorified workout? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think neither of the quarterbacks really stood out all that much in the spring scrimmage periods that they did. But I think at this time of the year, the defense is always going to be ahead of the offense, no matter what. Um, and I think that was definitely the case in spring practice. Jacob Eason in the scrimmage period did have one really nice throw um, at the end to Kamari Pleasant for a 17-yard touchdown. He kind of scrambled and hit him, um, and it kind of showed off a little bit of what he can do. Um, and you have seen during spring practice just his arm is as people have thought it was going to be. He has launched perfectly placed 60-yard passes. Really? Um, I don't think he showed a lot of that in the scrimmage, but there has definitely been flashes during spring practice where you're like, okay, this is what that this guy can do. 
Um, and I think as they get into practice in the fall, you're going to start to see more and more of that. Um, like you said, spring practice, it's kind of hard to tell yeah. too, too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think you can definitely see the kind of player he can be. Lauren, you just said splashes. So let's go there. Splashes in the spring game. Who are Lauren Kirschman's splashers of the spring game that you saw 10 days ago? Yeah, I mean, most of them are on defense. Um, I thought Isaiah Gilchrist, who had um, two interceptions in the game, played really, really well. Um, he's a guy that I believe is kind of going to be rotating through, playing a bunch of different positions for the defense. He has practiced at safety, at cornerback, and at nickelback. So he's a guy that's going to be able to really plug in there and play a bunch of different positions for them. Ariel Nagata and Joe Tryon each had two sacks which is huge for Washington because their pass rush last season really struggled. Um, and those are two guys that can really turn that around for them. And after the game, defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake really pointed to those two as guys who have stood out this spring and stood out in the spring preview and be really important to making sure that that pass rush improves this season. So I thought that was a really good showing for them. As far as offense, there wasn't too, too much that really stood out. Like I said, the uh, defense is just so far ahead of the offense, I think, at this point in the year. Um, I did think Salman Ahmed had a really good game. At the very end, he kind of got in there a little bit more, got going, really hit some holes really well. Um, running backs are probably the hardest position to evaluate in the spring, but you could really see that burst and athleticism that he has, and I think he's going to be really exciting to watch this year. Right. When you say Ahmed and we think of McGrew, I wonder how many guys are going to get carries over the course of the Pac-12 season because they've got these guys, these bigger bodies, Newton and Pleasant, who can also add kind of a different dimension. Do you see kind of a carries by committee? I don't want to say carries by committee. Let me take that back. Do you see three and four and five guys getting opportunities during the course of a game? Yeah, I see a bunch of different guys um, getting carries for sure. I think Ahmed will be the kind of feature back, but I don't see him getting carries the way that Miles Gaskin did. I don't see him getting nearly all of them the way Miles Gaskin did. Um, I think he has the capability to be a really strong feature back, but I also think Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant really showed what they can bring to the table last season. And I think McGrew is kind of that shifty quick back. Pleasant is more of that big back, that downhill runner. I think they all bring something a little different. And I think the way that they performed last season, you're not going to be able to keep them off the field. So I see a little bit more of a running back by committee than definitely was there when Mouse Gaskin was around. Right. I read an article in the Seattle Times not too long ago about the tight ends, a little blurb about the tight yeah. ends. And I remember... I remember thinking at the end of the year last year when Hunter Bryant got healthy and caught a pass, a couple of passes down the middle, deep down the middle, I was like, whoa, how about this guy right here? And they've got two yeah. tight ends. They've got a good blocking back or a blocking tight end, and they've got Hunter Bryant who's kind of, I would call him more of a hybrid between a tight end and maybe a receiver. This is a very, very strong part of Washington's offense in 2019, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Hunter Bryant, I think, all in all, was the standout player from spring practice because just of what he brings to the field, nobody else can do the things that he does. And I think what they missed, really, really missed last year when he was out was that kind of vertical passing threat that he is. And you could see at the end of last season when he was healthy and brought that back. And during spring practice, he's just been a reliable and favorite target um, for the quarterbacks. And then you have Kate, Kate Ott and you have Jacob Kaiser, who are both great players in their own right. I think that's one of their strongest positions for sure. Okay, how about the wide receiver spot? Lauren, I'm a little, yeah. I'm a little concerned if I'm a Husky fan 
about where the production is coming. I understand there were a couple of receivers that are banged up and didn't play in the spring game and maybe not in spring practice. What about that that position for the Huskies on offense? Yeah, this was a really interesting one to watch during spring practice because you had starters and Ty Jones and Aaron Fuller who were out. Quentin Pounds is out. So it was kind of the younger wide receivers got the chance to really show what they could do. Um, and I think there were some promising things um, that came out of spring practice for those younger guys. I thought Austin Osborne and Terrell Bynum were two who really stood out um, this spring. They showed that they can go up and get the ball. They showed that they could be deep threats. Somebody that a lot of fans have their eye on is redshirt freshman Marquis Spiker. He was looked at as kind of a bigger receiver, a guy that could maybe stretch the field for them. Um, I thought he had a really solid spring. Um, he didn't do anything that really um, got my attention too much, but I think he has the opportunity to do that in the fall, um, and I think he has the talent. One guy that I think is really interesting is Andre Bocelli because yeah. he really came on at the end of last season. His best three games of the year and of his career um, were the last three games of the season. His best game of his career was in the Rose Bowl, um, and he just really seemed to find something there at the end of last season. So I'll be interested to see how that carries over into this year for him. I don't normally ask about the kicker, but I'll ask about the <laughs> kicker because Husky fans scratch their head and bang their heads against the wall with the kicking position uh, and the field goals. Uh, who's going to be the kicker? Same guy as last year? What happens this year with the kicking spot? Peyton Henry was the only guy kicking um, during spring because the kicker that they recruited is not here yet. Um, and that is Timothy Horn. Um, and he will be here for the fall as a true freshman. And he is one of the top kickers in the country. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him grab that spot. Um, I think I definitely think after last season, it's open. It's an opportunity for him. Um, he's a big time kicker. So we'll see how that plays out in the fall. But like I said, he wasn't here for spring practice, so nobody's gotten a look at him yet. But um, I definitely think he'll have an opportunity to come in and play. All right. That's the voice of Lauren Kirschman. Uh, on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, on the University of Washington football spring team, the looks of the spring team, also the quarterback saga, the soap opera of Jacob <laughs> Sermon. Yeah, I'll come. No, I won't. Yes, I'll be here. No, I'm leaving. No, I'm going to stay. For now, he's going to stay as a quarterback out of Bothell for the University of Washington, and we all expect that Jacob Eason will be the starting quarterback sooner rather than later. Lauren, thank you. Thank you very, very much for being on Mitch Unfiltered. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Nice to catch up with Lauren Kirschman, the University of Washington beat reporter for the News Tribune in Tacoma on the Washington spring football game and the story of Jacob Sermon, the kid out of Bothell, who at one point last week had decided to transfer and then changed his mind. Perhaps he was told by head coach Chris Peterson that, hey, Jacob, I'm going to give you a shot at the starting quarterback gig if Eason goes pro. After this year, you'll be given the opportunity to compete for that job. And that's exactly maybe what Sermon wanted to hear. I don't know. Anyone out there tossing around the idea of refinancing your home? You should be looking at numbers all the time. You should be checking into it. It could be money in your pocket. Really excited about our newest partner, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Jordan Flowers and his team, just a phone call away. And it costs you nothing. Just call. Five-minute phone call to check into rates, opportunities. This is kind of a cash deal. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage has three loan officers that are in the top 1% in the United States, and they are huge fans of the show, huge fans of Mitch Unfiltered. So make sure that you mention that you heard it from here, and maybe they'll give you some special treatment. 425-250-3150. Again, the phone number, 425 250 
3150. I guess you could hit the pause button and have me repeat it. Over 55 years as a mortgage bank, one of the oldest around, the 2017 J.D. Power number one lender in customer satisfaction. Find the loan to fit your life and select from hundreds of loan products tailored to your needs. Again, 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. Time being, Jacob Sermon is in. Okay. For the time being, I for think the time being, I think he's in after all that. I, I do, but I just—I'm afraid that we're recording this, and that by the time people <laughs> listen to it, he'll be in the uh, in the transfer pro- protocol, the portal, portal in, into the uh, transfer por- portal. Yes. Um, before we finish, a few things. I was watching. I told you in the first segment that you that I was at the four-overtime game That's right. between Portland and Denver, That's right. the game three. And now that series, at the time of this recording, is now not at 2-2 because Denver turned around and won. And and they turned around and got another triple-double from the guy I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm to tell you, you can be mad at me all you'd like. I, I like the NBA. I don't watch it like my kids watch it. My boys love the NBA. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of a fan, fair weather. I'm a Clippers fan. I'll watch the Clippers, and then I'll watch a little playoffs. And I know Nikola Jokic. Mm-hmm. I know who he is, but I've never really watched him. And I'm sitting there on Friday night. I, I don't know where to begin on this guy. Mm-hmm. The guy goes for 33, 18, and 14. Yeah. And he looks like a dude that's playing at the YMCA on yeah. Tuesday nights. He's got... He's got no definition to his body. He he's he looks completely unathletic. Mm-hmm. He can hardly run up half the time. Now I know he was playing sixty five minutes that night, and yep. but half the time he walks up the court. Even his walk is the walk of like an old man. I mean, I and I and I and I asked on Twitter, and I'll ask you. You probably know a lot more about him than I do. I said I have never seen a more unathletic looking. Super. He's a. Would you say he's a superstar? Like a max player. Oh, max. Yeah. He's a superstar. Yeah. Has there ever been a more unathletic-looking human being that's been a superstar in the NBA than they call him the Joker? Yeah, the Joker. Nikola Jokic or I, Nikola. I, yeah. Jokic. I, I. You're right in that. First of all, he's got no body definition. He's like a blob. Yes. But not hugely fat. I wouldn't no, call he's not him fat. fat. No, no. He's a little pudgy. Yeah. I'd say pudgy, but not fat. He, but no de- Undefined. Like, undi- like me. I mean, he looks he's like me. Undef- if he took his shirt off, he'd probably look worse than I do. Well, anyway. <laughs> Why well, so, would take my shirt so, off? So, do we need to get her no, back? I don't want to get scared. I don't want to get scared. <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm about to go. I'm about to go. So he is one of those guys where he is a legit triple threat in this way. He's big enough to post up and go back to the basket on the block, which is a rarity in today's NBA with a big guy catching on the block and making moves. He can step out and go pick and roll and still hit jumpers. And surprisingly, he can put it on the deck a little bit and make some plays. For a guy that's unathletic looking yeah, and just kind of like, Big Country Reeves, Brian, Big Country Reeves in a smaller version, not as – it's unbelievable 
the amount of game he has. He has serious game. I noticed, and again, people are probably snickering because this is pro- I'm probably the last guy to the table. I get it. I noticed watching him, and I, and I was mesmerized by him just because of his overall, to me, unathletic look. I was watching him very closely. He touched the ball on every – he comes out. Goes through He him. sets a screen, and then he gets the ball at the top of the key. Yeah. He's like the point guard. He doesn't bring it up, yeah. but he – Everything, when you say goes through him, I think of a big guy where you toss it into him and everything goes through him. No, he would come up, screen for the guard, the guard would come off the screen and then toss it back to him and he would stand face up at the top of the key. Every single, this guy's seven feet and he's and he's like making all of the offensive decisions. Mm-hmm. Whether he's going to take it to the basket, whether he's going to toss it to the wing and go pick, whether he's going to make a move. I'm, it, it, every single possession, this unathletic superstar with triple-double man yeah. has, has got the ball in his hands at the top of the key. At the top of the key. I know. In a place where you don't expect him to actually have to make amazing decisions. stuff. Yeah. He's good. Ama- He's really, ama- really ama- good. Ama- Denver's stuff. legit. Denver's sneaky legit. So people are tweeting me, Oliver Miller. I mean, no way. Okay, first of all, I almost had to cancel Twitter. When I say he's the most unathletic-looking superstar in NBA I've ever seen, and somebody and somebody says to me, Oliver Miller. Nope. Okay, Oliver Miller was a superstar in the NBA. Nope. He wasn't even a he wasn't even was he even a good player in the NBA. He had a couple of years where he was a decent player, but not a superstar. This guy's a superstar, yeah. right? Um Arvidas Sabonis. So I went back and I looked at Arvidas Sabonis. You look at Arvidas Sabonis. He was huge. Huge, and he was not a blob no. like this guy. No. Arvidas Sabonis looked like he was pretty I want to say chiseled, but he was pretty strong. And looking. as good as Sabonis was, and he was an unbelievable not passer. Yeah. And a great on the block. Yeah different era they're totally different players the joker is a completely different player than what sabonis was and i i give all credit to what sabonis was but yeah. he couldn't do some of the things that the joker and then somebody said charles barkley and no way charles that's barkley not right. I, that's not what i'm talking yeah. you watch charles barkley run even when he when he was young there's you see the athlete i'm not just talking yeah. about physical Lack of physical appeal. I'm talking about the walk, the yeah, gate, the sure. run. Charles Barkley, once he ran up and down the floor a couple times, you said, okay, that's an athlete. Yeah. You don't say that with this guy. Yep. Anyway, let's get off of that. Nobody cares about that anymore. Kentucky Derby, what do you think? DQ, we have we have a, a major stink, a major controversy in the in the Kentucky Derby. A 65-1 to 1 shot was handed the crown the Kentucky Derby victory based on a disqualification of the of the horsey that was supposed to win or did win. Yeah, maximum security. Was it a good decision or not? Maximum security keeps on fighting. War of will is there too as they come to the final furlong. It is country house on the outside. Maximum security so dead game. He keeps battling on. Maximum security. Country house went two down to the line. Maximum security wins the Kentucky Derby. Second, followed by Code of Honor, third, and in behind them, Master Fencer, who was closing late inside of Tacitus. It's maximum security. He's never lost a race, and he wins it under Luis Science. There is an objection that has been posted on the board, so it is unofficial for the moment. There you see the unofficial order of finish. There was definitely some contact. They disqualified him. They did. So for the first time in the history of the Kentucky Derby, the horse that crossed the line first has been disqualified. After the objection, Country House wins the Kentucky Derby. 
I think it was a good decision. I mean, you know, you got to stay in your lane. And regardless of where it was on the track coming off the turn, you've got to stay in your lane. And when maximum security started to go wide, he impeded the progress, not not necessarily of the eventual winner, yeah, but of another horse. I can't remember two the or name. three. Yeah, that two had or to three. Slow down or something. The, the, the one horse. Can I read you something? Yeah, go for it. Can I read? Uh, is it okay if this guy takes a different approach than you? Of course. This is the USA Today writer, uh, Dan Walken. Mm-hmm. He writes, uh, perhaps the most amazing part of horse racing's decline into relative obscurity amongst major. American sports is that it manages to still pack 150,000 people into Churchill Downs every year for the world's biggest party on the first Saturday in May. It happens rain or shine, no matter how much they jack up the ticket prices, regardless of how many $15 mint juleps it takes to get a comfortable buzz on. And it only grows like that year after year apart from the sport's typical sinkage for one reason. The Kentucky Derby is special. It's less special today. Every now and then, the best horse in the Derby doesn't win. It should never be robbed. The history books will say that Longshot Country House was the 145th Kentucky Derby winner on Saturday. But anyone who watched, and that includes you, anyone who watched and remembers the race years from now will know that Country House was little more than the recipient of an egregious decision by the racing stewards of Triple of Churchill Downs, who disqualified the horse that finished under the wire first. It was much the best running one and one quarter miles around the famed oval. That horse was maximum security. And now he's the poster boy of the biggest controversy in the history of American horse racing. An outcome horse racing didn't need amidst the monks long public relations debacle resulting from the 23 horse fatalities in California over the winter. And frankly, wasn't warranted under the circumstances of, of the race. Then, about two and a half hours after the race, the three people who made this decision didn't even bother to defend it. Instead, they chose the gutless route by reading a prepared statement in the media center at Churchill Downs and refusing to answer questions about the biggest overturned result in the history of the sport. So, this guy yeah. very much disagrees with you. So let me be clear, maximum security, based on what I saw, was the best horse in the field. Never lost a race. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Best horse in the field. Those two things, between whether or not maximum security got robbed and whether or not there was an infraction, they collide because maximum security and the jockey on that horse swerved into a lane that he should not have been in. Now, had he not done that, would he have still won the race? Yes. He still would have won the race. That's why maybe this writer, Dan Wilkin from USA Today, says he got robbed because everybody knew in the building that maximum security is the best horse on the track. It doesn't excuse the fact that he did impede the path of two other horses. No and question. What I saw, he did impede. The, absolutely. The, so you have to. It, but I, here's the problem. I don't know, and you don't either, but you, you may know better than me. D- does this happen a lot in crowded fields? I mean. I, I, yes. I, and, it does. And does it always, do they always throw the, the horsey out that does the impeding? Yes. They always throw the horsey listen, out? Listen. Yeah. But not in major stakes races. Oh, they let it go. If this happened. No foul. 
if this same thing now there wouldn't be a twenty one horse field or whatever it was right sloppy sloppy track, muddy conditions. there wouldn't be a twenty one horse field at at Emerald Downs but l- let's say it's an eight or ten or twelve horse field and this at, happened and this happened it would absolutely be challenged and that would horse, Joe Withy throw the Joe the, Withy would do that would Ron Crockett step a hundred percent would he step out of his owner's box even though he's not the owner anymore yeah. and whistle down yeah throw that horsey out yeah. That, that would have been called 10 times out of 10, in my opinion. And I'm not the, the horse whisperer, but I'm just And what's saying. the name of the horse, Maximum Security? Mm-hmm. Can I ask the question, that the stupid question that's on my mind? Okay. Has anybody notified Maximum Security, and does he care? The actual horse. Does the horse no. know? Or is the horse just the horse does not is know. eating yeah. and carrying on in life without a, without a worry That's in the probably world? Probably what's going and on, and it will now. run at Preakness again. Yeah, and everybody like Dan Walken will root for maximum security. Maximum security is going to get into the box. They're going to introduce him. The place is going to go wild, and the horsey is going to look around like, "Why is everybody so excited about me? We did." Yeah. Why is Am everybody cheering for me? I, apparently, I'm a big deal. I didn't yeah. even win that. <laughs> no one is told. Uh, the horse that he lost. All right, Effetti's option declined. Surprised, happy, sad. What do you think? None of the above. Expect ten and a half million. You're not going to pay him that. You, right. Doesn't mean you don't want him. It just means you want to pay him less. Yeah, you just want to see what's what goes on in this this fifth year, and you, you you can negotiate and all that after the season or whatever. But just not at the number. Um, I think that people are going to be surprised. I think he has stunk like everybody. Everybody thinks that he stinks. But I think that he improved last year under the new offensive line coach. And I just have a sneaky suspicion with the way this works with offensive linemen on the free agent market. If you think that he's coming running back here for five or six million or whatever, a little a, like 60 cents on the dollar, I think you're going to be surprised. I think I think people are going to say good mm. riddance, mm. but they're going to chuckle. I think you're going to chuckle. Remind me to, oh, to bring this back out when – he signed somebody for a contract. Everybody goes, what? <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals gave him what? what? Yeah. Somebody is going to give Jermaine Effetti money. I think somebody's going to give Jermaine Effetti money. I, I don't disagree. And he's liable to have a good year this year. Right. And it could be the Seahawks that give him money. It could be. Well, they can't now. Well, I mean, they it, can. Once they, yeah, but once you decline, you can't. Not, you're telling me they're going to give him more than $10.5 million no. after all that? No. Uh, and by the way, your boy DK Metcalf, I feel a little bit better. I feel a little bit better, not a lot better. I'm worried about DK Metcalf. I told you that in 37P. You did. Because I just wonder aloud and call me skeptical, cynical. These guys that that are huge and run incredible 40s and are are workout specimens at the combine who played major Division One college football and have very very modest numbers. Mm-hmm. I just wonder about those guys. Sure. When they have really modest numbers in in fairly pass happy offenses, I just wonder why. Well, why does that guy got twenty eight or thirty or whatever? How many mm-hmm. receptions? There's got to be. And then to boot after he runs the four three forty and lifts and walks into the meeting without his shirt and he's the talk of the of the combines and the talk of the. Then he doesn't go high for sixty four spots. Yeah. Everybody's passing on him. I just I don't know. Call me cynical, skeptical. To me, the history on a guy with those types of connotation, the, those types of factoids, I bet you the success rate of that person, Darius Haywood Bay, whoever it is, are very small. So I'm hoping I'm wrong. 
I heard he was the standout of minicamp, right. but what does that really mean? He was the standout of minicamp. Guys like me were at minicamp. <laughs> he was the standout at minicamp. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. What do you got? You got that's it? You got anything uh, else I, you want to say? I, I do want to say one thing. Uh-oh. I do. The wristband? No. At, no. The, at the time of this recording, it happens to be my father's birthday. Oh. So I just want to say happy birthday to oh, my dad. Oh, yeah. That's, this is not the end of the show ring. So that, that's, yeah. that's actually really it? No, no, no. It's not. No. I want to say something. No. I want to say something. No. You and don't, you, you don't you, get to I, say I'll, I'll allow you to. You, you want to edit it out, you can. I just want to say something. I want to say something. I was willing to stop the show. You were about to stop the show. I forgot. I forgot. And I just wanted to say happy birthday to my dad at the time of this recording. Yeah. And I want to say happy birthday, too. Can okay. I say happy birthday, you too? You can, and that's the end of the show. No, I could say happy birthday, and I want to say something else, too, that I forgot to mention. Okay, it has nothing to do with your dad. I have one other thing, too. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, I want to say happy birthday to your dad. Okay. Can I say? Can you tell me his first name so I can say happy birthday to him? Yeah, it's dad. Nobody knows his first nope. name? <laughs> okay, Daddy Hamilton. Yep. Uh, happy birthday. Uh, I want to say something, and this is the truth, and I wish I had it in front of me. Mm-hmm. I got an email from a listener. I have no idea... Who it is. They sent it to me at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. And by the way, anybody who wants to send me a note and anybody who wants to get unblocked on Twitter, <laughs> send me it over Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Some random listener sent me a note and said that he was in the desert mm-hmm. and he just happened to meet your father. Mm-hmm. I guess I got to call him Daddy Hamilton. <laughs> he met Daddy Hamilton. Mm-hmm. This note was so sweet. He said that I now understand something to the effect of I get it now listening to Jason Hamilton because I always tell people like you're too good to be true. You're too nice of a guy. And he wrote that he gets it now having met the father why you are who you are. I Mm. thought that was a really sweet, sweet Mm. note. He said that your dad was really, really sweet. Now, are you telling me that that's a terrible thing that I said? You want me to you want me to edit that out now? I don't. Okay. Now, the other thing I want to mention. Uh oh. You went quickly to that. You transitioned very fast. No, because I forgot I wanted to talk to you about the drive back from Portland. Oh, yeah. Um, again, I've been going to these tournaments, basketball and baseball, basketball tournaments. This is my first baseball tournament with the, with the little guy to Portland back and forth just about every year for years and years. And I relied on the GPS, mm-hmm. the Google part of the GPS. Yep. I was scared out of my mind. Taking you around and about. I didn't know where the hell it was. I'd never driven this way. Yeah. Just, I didn't come the way yeah, that you just, normally I, come. It's taken me I places. Five, high five north. Yes, it, I yeah. don't understand. It took me so to see. I saw different parts of the world. Yeah. I was afraid at one point I was in Minneapolis. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was seeing places. It took me, and oh. I don't even know what to tell you, except I went over a bridge. I, I didn't go through Portland and over to I-5, over the water. Oh, you went I, over 205. I went, I went somewhere yeah. over. I, we started in Beaverton, yeah. and we started going down to like Mount St. Helens. We yeah, were like, were going we were, I don't know where the hell we were. Yeah, you need, and to over, and, you need to get out more. And then over a bridge. Yeah. And then, by the way, by the way, I'm, and then finally I get to I-5, and I like I hadn't breathed. I yeah, had like, breath. This, this because, extra okay, road, what okay, is this? Okay, yeah. I didn't know I was going the right way because I had just, you remember, two days yeah. earlier, <laughs> going, I went to you're Portland. Going north on I went I-5, to Portland right? by way of I-5 north. Yeah, it's difficult. That That's I difficult. Went, I went I-5 north yeah. to Portland just a couple days later. So I'm now on I-5. We stopped at Quiznos. The, we stopped at a Quiznos. And uh, there was no Zeke's Pizza or Daniel's Broiler, so I hope nobody mm-hmm. gets offended. Um, and 
We get back on I-5, and my thing starts bleeping, beeping. Shorter route. Yeah. Shorter route. Would you like to go on the shorter route? Press the button. So I press the button, and it gets me off of I-5. Have you, have you done, do you get off of I-5 when you come, when you come yeah. uh, north Some, now? Sometimes, especially when you get around Tacoma, sometimes. Yeah, it took me uh, – It took me. I, I, yes. Yeah, you went it's off got towards me going east. I went to go towards Puyallup, Yeah, I think. and then you got on 167. I don't know where the hell I was. <laughs> this was a journey of a lifetime. Yeah. It was unbelievable. There you go. I didn't know where I, didn't know where I was. I got off I, – so this was a new – yes, yes. Welcome to technology. Yes. And I, I, I want to say something about episode – 37p before we end episode before we end episode kurt schilling and bloody sock no before we end episode, episode mac whatever you're gonna i i didn't get a chance to tell you after listening to to max movie uh, mogul max yeah. on episode 37p and so yeah for those of you out there that are not patrons become a patron how long was he on? Probably 15, 20 minutes. 15, 20 minutes yeah. doing his his review of Endgame. One word. Yeah, as you said, Endgame. One word, yeah. Uh, uh, he God. was fantastic. You, are you, you're just saying that, No, right? I'm not. Mitch's son was on 15, 20 minutes of episode 37P. Yeah. If you, if you want to hear that, it's worth... It's worth it to become a patron just to hear that, well, which we'll was put him awesome. On. We'll put, they don't have to do that. He's already asked me when, oh, when, when's he's, the next oh, time. He wants, a new, he yeah. wants his own time And slot. he wanted to know, did you keep my MBA remarks in? I said, yeah, I kept your MBA remarks in. He said, yeah, when, when's the next time you need me? Yeah, yeah. And so I said, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, nice. he's, he's okay. yeah, but I appreciate the he comment. He was very, he very good. He, yeah, for a first time behind a microphone. He was very, very good. These so. microphones sometimes can weird you out That's right. a little bit. All right? Okay. Episode? Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling. I, and I don't like him at all, but what am I going to do? There's nobody that even's close. Listen, this is your deal. I'm not going to sit here and try to argue that it should be Max Strong, even though it should be Max Strong. If you want to name it episode, Kurt Schilling. Do you drink milk? No. Did you ever drink milk as oh, a yeah. kid? Of course. Okay. Did you ever have sour milk by by, by mistake? Yes. But what does that taste like? Not, sour milk. Not so good. What's the face look like? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it to people's imaginations. <laughs> I'm gonna call this episode Kurt Schilling, but I want everybody to picture my face <laughs> having just had sour milk. Episode Kurt Schilling <laughs> is in the books. <laughs>